Let's open our Bibles to the book of Galatians, chapter 4. You might think these are not um, Christmas verses, they are, and we'll get into that in just a bit, but I want to begin with verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all. But he's under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Now even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that he might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, explanation point. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son, And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Christmas 2016, this year, falls on a Sunday. We always always have a Christmas uh, Eve uh, service. I think it's only happened once before, if I remember right, where we we had Christmas on a Sunday, and we wrestled whether or not to do both or not. But this year it fell on a Sunday, uh, 2016. Do you know that we mark time itself? There's a reason it's 2016, because it's been 2,016 years since Jesus was born. Now, there's some debate about that. I mean, if you want to get technical, and I'm not going to debate you, but some say, no, it was 4 BC, some say 2 BC, some believe it was 1 AD. All we know is around 2,000 years ago, we began marking our calendars by the very birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. God's plan for sending his son was even decided before this world was even ever created. We read that in Revelation 13 where it says, all who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life, uh, slain from the foundations of the world. And um, it's talking about the time when, where every knee will bow, no matter what you believe. Uh, if you believe in Christ or you don't believe in Christ, my Bible says the day is coming that every knee, believer, unbeliever, shall bow to the Lord. Good place for an amen. It's going to happen. One of the things that we're going to talk about this morning, and um, I was catching, Judy and I, when, when we were on a little vacation, we were catching the services I was really impressed with both Tommy and Jay. Uh, Jay got me thinking like I'd never been thinking before when he started talking about, I knew about the vitamin K, uh, remember the circumcision on the eighth day? But when he got into this other protein that had to have A, B, C, D, unless you had A kick, that, that caused B to kick in, and it had B and that caused C to kick in, and it was 24 of them, and it had to be in sequence, otherwise your blood won't coagulate. Were you guys here or not for that? I'm kind of wondering. You were here or not? That blew my mind. What I liked about it is this. It makes you think. And uh, people blow off the Bible today because they think it's not relevant to the times. It's the most relevant book, and we're going to look at that this morning, that God has a timetable. It was the fullness of time. When the fullness of time had come, 
It was appointed. The Bible said it's appointed unto man once to die. We all have that appointment. And God has a precise calendar. So I've entitled this this morning, Promises, Peace, and Prayer. I want to begin with the promises. 31 times in the Old Testament, the Bible speaks of Jesus' first coming. 31 times. And if any one of them is not accurate or didn't come to pass, throw the book away. But if you're honest and have a conscience and have common sense, just those three things, you go, there's something special about this book. That God spoke before it happened and then it happened. Exactly like he said it was going to happen. It speaks of his first coming. This morning we will just look at just a few from Isaiah 353 prophecies are about the Lord Jesus Christ in the Bible. 353. Um, A vast majority of them have already been fulfilled. There's a handful uh, remaining to be fulfilled. 65 Old Testament prophecies speak of the Lord's second coming. Uh, Daniel points it out to the day. Uh, I wanted to do a a side study with this study this morning with Daniel. I'm just going to allude to it just briefly here. There was something special about Daniel because the Lord not only told him to the day, the first time that the Lord would allow to be worshipped, April 632 AD, but in Daniel chapter 12, he tells you to the day when Jesus is going to come the second time. 1,290 days after somebody sees the abomination of desolation, is the second coming of Christ. Well, Dwight, doesn't the Bible say no man knows the day or the hour? It sure does. But that's talking about the rapture of the church. But we are to know the times and the seasons. Um, we're not children, like um, Rich was sharing earlier, talking about light and darkness. We're not children of the night. We're children of the day. And we are to be aware of the signs of the times. How? Because of Bible prophecy. 20 times the New Testament speaks of his second coming, and there's at least 23 verses that foretell the rapture, which will occur at least seven years prior to the second coming. These are two separate events. And what I like to do when I I teach on this is actually put up the verses that talk about the second coming and the ones that are different um, from the rapture of the church. So the promise is basically, when I say the promise, we're actually talking about something God foretold in the past. I said there was 31 of them. We're only going to look at two, so let's turn to Isaiah chapter 7. And we'll pick over and look over at um, Isaiah speaking to King, King Ahaz. King Ahaz... Um, just didn't want to hear it. We all know people, they just don't want to hear it. And, um, and then there's, there, there's people that are very, very grateful to want to hear, to, to be open. Uh, we were getting off the plane yesterday and there was this gal sitting next to us and, and um, Judy was getting her, getting her a Christmas present. She says, I want to give you a Christmas present. She says, well, I don't have one for you. She says, that's okay, don't worry about it. So she gave Gideon's Bible, a God of wonders, and something like a daily bread. And um, the reason she did so is because this gal was reading a book, and 
she was kind of kind of see what a book was what, what, what was about, and all she could read was "I believe in God." That's all she could see. So she took that as the Lord saying, "You need to witness to this girl." And so, so she puts together this little package, and she says, "Well, I don't have anything to give you for a present." And I said, "Where are you from?" She said, "Originally from Chicago." And I said, "Well, I got a. You already have given me a Christmas present." And she says, well, what do you mean? I pulled out my phone. I don't know if you've seen this. This picture's gone viral. It shows two babies sitting on a couch. One has a Green Bay Packer emblem on, and the other one had a Chicago Cub on. And the Green Bay Packer baby's going, and the Chicago Cub baby's going, and I said, Merry Christmas. Thank you very much. And then she reminded me that they won the World Series, and I said, good enough. The promise that we read about here is a man who simply didn't want to hear it. She could have turned it down. She could have saw the Bible and said, no, thank you. And that would have been sending a message. But she was grateful. And here in verse 10, um, again, the attitude of the king is, I don't want to hear this. He said, and basically Isaiah said, well, even if you don't want to hear, I'm going to tell you. Moreover, the Lord, verse 10, moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord. Ask it either in the depths or the height above. But Ahaz says, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Well, he's really saying, I I don't want nothing really to do with it. Then he said, Hear now, O house of David. Is it a small thing for you to weary men, but will you weary my God also? Therefore, The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he shall be called Emmanuel, which is literally God with us. This is a promise. It says God's going to send a sign, and he is going to have a woman who is a virgin conceive and actually have a baby. Now, we need to turn... You can keep your finger in Isaiah because we're coming back, but let's turn over to the Luke chapter 1 where this is actually fulfilled. There's the prophecy. And one picking it up in verse 26. The two archangels that are mentioned are Gabriel and Michael. Michael's the warrior. Gabriel's the messenger. Gabriel is the one who appeared to Daniel Gabriel is the one who appeared to Mary. Um, Michael is the one, Revelation 12, it says, Michael and his angels fought against the devil and their angels, and there was found no more room for the devil's angels or the devil in heaven. So Michael's the the warrior, but Gabriel here, we're, we're told, says in verse 26, chapter one of Luke, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named, near, named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed. Uh, Tommy made the, the good point of saying that betrothal is like already being married. Uh, it's that binding. Um, so she's already past an engagement, we would say. It's more serious than that. To a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you, and blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered 
What kind of greeting was this? And then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how how can this be since I've never known a man? I'm a virgin. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One is to be born, will be called the Son of God. Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us. Let's go back to Isaiah, but instead of chapter 7, let's just look over at chapter 9. Very famous scriptures this time of year, picking it up. We'll, we'll read just, I'm interested in verse 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. Well, that's exactly what Gabriel just said. Of his kingdom it will be no end. But what we have here is two different perspectives. The first perspective is, for unto us a child is born. This would be referring to uh, Bethlehem. This would be referring to his earthly incarnation when the creator of the universe took on human flesh. Unto us a child is born. Speaking of, of Jesus in Bethlehem. But then, that's the earthly perspective. The heavenly one, looking at it from that perspective, unto us a son is given. It blows my mind to try to think of the transformation that took place here. Because what we're gonna read next is we're gonna see a picture of the Trinity. Some people don't believe there is a Trinity. Well, the Trinity's right here in this verse. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Who? The son that's gonna be given and a child that's gonna be born is also called Everlasting Father, and mighty God. You have to have the Trinity there. There's no way you can get around it. Another good place for an amen. Amen. It's there. But what I want to dwell on is, again, something that Rich alluded to, and that is the Prince of Peace. And there is no gift greater than to have tranquility, to have peace of mind. And the crazy thing about this time of year is it's the most anxious and busy pressure cooker type time period of the whole year. And people are always anxious. Very seldom do you observe or have that peace unless you can get away by yourself. Otherwise, it's full of activity and a lot of stress. A lot of people going into debt more than they should be. But Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there's going to be no end. And I think about this peace. Um, it says here, upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order and establish it with judgment and justice. For that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So let's go back um, 
uh, we have these two perspectives, but especially this part of the, of the Prince of Peace. Um, we'll go from the promise now uh, into that peace. Let's go back to Luke chapter 2. I enjoyed Tommy talking about Israel in the shepherd's field, so I won't comment too much about it, except to say it hasn't changed in over 3,000 years. We have Boaz falling in love with Ruth. These were his fields. Boaz's fields were the shepherd's fields, and that's where he fell in love. It was love at first sight. He becomes, they get married, and... um, they become great-grandfather to David. Well, this is where David grew up, in the same fields. When he was anointed king of Israel, where was he? He was out with the sheep. Samuel said, where is he? Go get him. He's out taking care of the sheep. What sheep? Where? Well, out in the shepherd's fields. And then fast forward, that was David. 1,000 years later, we have this and these scriptures happening. And I love this spot, one of my favorite places on planet Earth because it's relatively unchanged. We sit on one side of the valley, we can see Bethlehem in the, on the other side, but in between are olive trees and, and it's the shepherd's fields. And I'm glad there's not high rises there. It's still, you can still go there and have a Bible study and like Tommy said, they, um, they recognize us when we come, so they, they bring out the sheep. <laughs> and for a couple shekels or a buck, you get uh, a real experience of what the shepherd's fields were all about. These men were watching their flocks by night. Let's pick it up in verse 8. Now there was in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch out of their flocks by night. So we know the location. We know the time of it was taking place. And it it says, behold, an angel. And notice here it's singular, not plural yet. And behold, the angel of the Lord stood before them. So he's on the ground standing and talking to him. And the glory of the Lord shone around him. And it says they were greatly afraid. Now Mary was afraid. The shepherds were afraid. Anybody's time, anyone sees a real angel, they're always afraid. And they were greatly afraid. Therefore, the angel said to them, do not be afraid. That's always the next thing that's said. Um, so angels are, are beings that strike fear upon people because of the, the awesomeness of their presence. He says, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to you and, and all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a savior. The city of David? Yeah, a thousand years ago, that's where David lived, in Bethlehem, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign, oh, this is what Isaiah said about uh, to Ahaz, a different sign. You're going to find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. All right. The moment had come. The word was out. We're talking one angel. And I don't think heaven could hold it back any longer. All heaven explodes at this point because we go from angel, plural, to a heavenly host. Uh, Multitude of angels in the heavenly host praising God. One angel's on earth. These guys all of a sudden appear out of nowhere and they they sing the hallelujah chorus, sort of. (laughs) 
And it says, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. So we are told that one of his names is going to be the Prince of Peace. And here we read that when he comes, he's here. There's going to be goodwill towards men. And there's going to be peace on earth. And I read this scripture and I look at the world I live in and I think, could anything be any farther possibly from the truth than what this angel is saying? Do you know that America, 93% of the time, that's 227 out of 240 years, we have not had peace, we've been at war. We've had 18 years of peace. 93% of the rest of the time, we've been at some sort of war. Right now, this week, and um, this is bigger than I can even begin to possibly tell you prophetically what's going on right now with Syria. Right now in northern Syria, in the, there's a city that's called Aleppo. Oh, they'll sneak it into news every once in a while. Genocide is being played out in Aleppo as I speak with help from both Russia and Iran to support Assad, the king of Syria. And it's gotten to the point where uh, innocent men, women, women, and children are being killed for this takeover of Aleppo. And I say, peace on earth, really? Not to mention our Civil War, World War I, World War II. Some people say we're already in World War III. And then, to add, the focus of the last days will focus in Syria, primarily Damascus. If the rapture isn't the next thing on, on God's calendar, I believe Isaiah chapter 17, verse 1 is. And that is Damascus, the oldest continually inhabited city in the world, is going to be destroyed and never inhabited again. That's never happened. It's going to happen. As I look into the Middle East and I see what's happening to Aleppo, I ask a common sense question. Is that possible? Well, you can Google Damascus. They have drones that fly through it. It looked like it's already in ruins. And the pictures that I've seen of Aleppo, it was a glorious town and now it's nothing but a pile of rubble. As you probably heard, amongst all this, um, Russian ambassador to Turkey, Andrei Karvlov, was shot dead Sunday night at an art gallery right at he, as he was about to speak. Some 22-year-old Turkish cop took him out. People are saying this was a setup. This was all part of a plan. But what's interesting that the key players in war in the Middle East right now, who are they? Russia, Iran, Syria, and right next to them is Israel. And one thing that they all have in common is they either hate or they want what Israel has. Um, it raises the question, what, what do you do if you're president of Russia and they kill your ambassador to Turkey? And it made me wonder a lot, what is Putin going to do? And that's what they're asking on TV. What's Putin going to do now? And as I thought about it, um, 
Russia and Assad and Iran are responsible for the slaughter of these innocent men, women, and children. Now he has to do something. And I'm thinking, I don't think he wants to do something. In other words, he's being forced to do something that he might not want to do. Now, if that doesn't make you think of Ezekiel 38, verse 2, let me read it to you to show you how close and how quickly things can come together in these days. This is a prophecy against the nation, main nation, and those nations that are going to attack Israel, and it says over and over again, in the last days. So I'm quoting Ezekiel 38 too. Could it be that this is the hook that's going to bring more of Russia in? Putin's ambassador's just been killed. What's he gonna do about it? Some people are telling him, don't stir the pot. Some people are saying, you gotta do something, or they're gonna think you're weak, especially with Trump now in office. I'll quote Ezekiel 38 too. Son of man, set your face against Gog and the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, Tubal, and prophesy against them and says, thus says the Lord God, behold, I'm against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. I'm gonna turn you around. I'm gonna put a hook into your jaw and lead you out with your army's horsemen, with all splendid clothes, a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. The first country to join them is called Persia. Iran changed its name from Persia, or Persia changed its name to Iran 80 years ago. So it's clearly talking about Iran here as the main one tied in with this battle with Russia, Ethiopia, Libya, and with many of them, Shields and Helmer. Uh, Gomar and all of its troops, the house of Togarma, and the far north and all of its troops, many people with you. And I ask the question again, peace on earth, goodwill towards men? Just this last week in Berlin, a terrorist took his semi and slammed it into people who were doing their holiday shopping, killing 12 and wounding 48. And I asked myself, peace on earth. Down in um, the Phoenix area, every night on the news, they showed a road, a, get it out, a road rage shooting. And for the, they just lose it so quickly. And just while we were down there, uh, one separate little boy was killed and then three little kid, kids were killed because some little old lady was going too, too slow. Goodwill towards men, peace on earth. And when I, when I read the angels, what they say here, when the angels appeared to the shepherds in the shepherds' fields, and they rallied this cry, uh, peace on earth, goodwill to, towards men. It's not peace on earth, and it's not goodwill to men. But let me tell you what the scriptures really say here. And this is where I want you to be a Berean, and check it out for yourself. Because what's actually the better translation, it would go like this. The better translation is, on earth, peace among men of goodwill, or i.e., among men who are the object of the goodwill, the approval, and the love of God. And Rich nailed it this morning. He says, all I want is peace. I'm just looking for joy. I'm just looking for something to fill this emptiness that I can't find anywhere else. And he said, and what's being said here is, yeah, there is peace. And um, 
now for the very first time, what they're declaring is that before Christ came, uh, man was at enmity with God. Now he has the potential to have peace with God for the first time. Every soul um, uh, without Christ will perish. Jesus said so himself. If you don't repent, you will perish. Turn with me to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 5. Just look at two verses here. Making peace with our creator. Romans 5 verse 1 and 2 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, faith in what? That Jesus died for my sins on the cross, and I believe that by faith. We have, notice, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus said to tell us die, paid in full, anybody who believes that has made their peace with God. God is no longer at enmity with man, through whom also we have access by faith into the grace which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. For the first time, um, we realize we were born at point A, but what's the destination and how do we get there? Um, we're all going to perish, die. You're either going to go to heaven, and we have that hope, or if you die in your sins, you will go to hell. And that's what the book of life we're talking about earlier. But yet it's one thing to make peace with God. You can make peace with God. Um, uh, let's go back to Galatians really quick because it talks about it here. Back to our text, Galatians 4. Our text tells us at one time, now I say heir as long as he as a child does not differ as from a slave, though he is a master of all, but he's under a guardian and steward until the appointed time by the father. Even so, we were children were in bondage. That's all of us. And you can say you're at peace or everything's fine, and, but it's not. Um, in Romans 1, it says there are people who suppress the, tr- the truth and unrighteousness. Well, they know there's a God. They just don't want to be under his authority. They want to be their own God. So they suppress the very knowledge of God. And again, Jay made the point of it, simply because of creation. Or the beautiful snowfall. Yeah, we hate it, we got to shovel it, but it is pretty, isn't it? <laughs> And yet, we see here that we're in bondage, but then it says until, until the fullness of time came. That first Christmas morning, where the angels um, declared peace on earth, goodwill towards men. But that's got to be understood with the, the better translation that's not in your Bible. And again, Bibereans, just check it out for yourself. As peace when you make your peace, as it says in Romans 5, having made peace with God. So we've made that peace, but let's take it a step farther. It's one thing to say, okay, everything's cool between me and and God now. And uh, he's taking care of my sins. But not only peace with God, but uh, Jesus said in John 14 to his followers, he says, I'm gonna leave you peace. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. They sign a peace agreement. How long does that last for? Not very long. 
Not as the world gives, I give unto you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Never let it be afraid. How I would love just to have been with the Lord for one day and walked with his disciples. And uh, I wonder what it's like hanging out with a man who has perfect peace all the time under every situation. And my greatest thought of that is when there was these seasoned fishermen on the Sea of Galilee, Jesus said, get in the boat. We're going from one side to the other side. All the disciples heard it, right? Do you think there's any force in the universe that's gonna stop that from happening? Nope. <laughs> so what happens? This storm was so, came up so quickly and um, it freaked out seasoned fishermen where they were fearful for their life and while the Lord was really, really concerned about it, he was up in the deck of the, uh, the hub of the boat and he was taking a nap. It had to be hard taking a nap under those kind of conditions. But that's what perfect peace does. And he gets up and he looks at the storm and he says, peace, be still. And it was a great calm. And it blew their minds. They said, who is this guy that even the winds and the sea obey him? And instead of saying, guys, I understand you're a little shook up. It was a pretty bad storm. No, he rebukes them. He says, where's your faith? Didn't I say we're going from this side of the water to the other side of the and instead of comforting him, said, oh, everything's going to be okay now. The storm's gone. No. He said, where is your faith? What that tells me is that we can have peace even when it's crazy, time around Christmas, or whether you're going through the biggest trial, you can have peace. Now, I only have this peace because of my awareness of what God's word tells me. It's a peace that says that passes human understanding. People look at you and you're not freaked out and you're not scared or worried about your situation. Why? Well, Romans 8.28 says that for those who love him, he will cause all things to work together for your good. So no matter what you're going through, you go, I don't know what's going on now, but I, got, I don't care. You know, the Lord said that um, he's going to give me a peace that passes understanding. The normal man would freak out. But those who have experienced not not the world's peace, but his peace, my peace I give to you. In Ephesians it says, for he himself is our peace who has made both one. He has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, therefore putting to death the enmity. And he came and he preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. And as we read, it gets to the place where that peace, we now look at, it, at our Heavenly Father, our everlasting God, not as someone to fear, but as Abba Father. You know another way of saying Abba Father? Papa. Papa. You can call your Heavenly Father Abba Father or Papa or Daddy with that affection because he has that. My, my, when I first got saved, I stumbled across Isaiah 26.3. 
And it became my favorite verse in the Bible. One of them. (laughs) It simply says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Whose mind is stayed, whose eye is stayed on. Jesus was walking on the water. Peter was impressed. He said, Lord, can I do that? He said, sure, Pete, come on out. So Peter gets out of the boat and he starts walking on the water. His eyes were on the Lord. And then he looked around, he says, these waves are pretty big. And as soon as he took his eyes off the Lord, just like it says here, whose mind is stayed on, as long as your mind is stayed, and it says we're to pray without ceasing and all that, as long as you're doing that, you're gonna be able to maintain that perfect peace because he trusts in you. Peter took his eyes off the Lord. He began to sink. He said, Lord, help. And the Lord pulled him up. And he says, why'd you doubt? And he, we often do that when we get tested. That's what storms are for, guys. Storms, God knows where your faith is at. Do you know that we don't? And do you know how we find out if we have it? Is when it's tested. So we have tests. We go through storms. Well, I wonder what they're going to do with this one. I wonder how he's going to handle that. And on top of it, all your unbelieving friends are watching. And what they should see in the midst of the storm is this peace that passes human understanding. You're not normal. You're not clicking right. Because you should be freaking out right now, and you're not. Why? Because God's on the throne. He's Lord of my life, and somehow, some way, he's working this out for good. How is that for an answer? And what can I say? As we look at wineness up this morning, I'll end with the prayer part of it. And uh, again, if you're back in Galatians, let's go, let's go back there. And it's, it's a simple question. Christmas can be a very depressing time for some people. I just read an article um, about the stats of how many people go through uh, times, great times of depression during this time of, of year. But you don't have to. And, um, you know, we always like to give testimonies, and everybody's testimony is different. But do you have one? That's what I want to know. Do you have one? And have you made your peace with God? You find that peace by understanding what this book has to say, what Jesus did. Having made peace through the cross, that's one thing. But then you can have a perfect peace And this Christmas 2016, the simple question is, have you made your peace with God? With the Prince of Peace? And you say, well, how does that happen? Well, you were once in bondage. And the Lord wants to set people in bondage free to have perfect peace. So again, it says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem how do you get redemption? It starts with repentance. They got four Christian, five Christian stations, and they're Christian, and every one of them is worse than the one before. <laughs> because there's, there's these motivational speakers that get up there, and they put on a pretty good show. They're pretty flashy. Uh, they'll look at the Bible maybe and, and take, uh, take one uh, verse out of it. But if I'm a common unbeliever observance, I see right through it. 
I said, you guys are just putting on a show and then you're asking for money and you're getting set up and they're making you feel good and not one of them will ever tell you that you have to repent and turn. So the peace comes after the repentance. Jesus said, it's expedient that I leave. I have to go away because if I don't go away, I can't send the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, and John, it tells us, the very first thing he does is to convict the world of sin. Oh yeah, he'll be a comforter, but you can't leave out that verse. The reason the Holy Spirit came was to convict you that you are a sinner and you need a savior. Good place for an amen. You are a sinner, I am a sinner, and I need a savior. And that's what Christmas is all about. When the fullness of time came, the, Lord, the Father said, now's the time, now go. And um, from bondage, now, from being on that broad way that leads to hell, we're now redeemed under, uh, who are under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. You're not just a Christian. You're part of the family where you're a son of God. Romans 8 says even creation is groaning. And they're creation is waiting for the redemption of the sons of God, implying a set number. And when that number is full as far as the church age is concerned, we are out of here. That's what I want for Christmas. (laughs) Uh, John Carson used to tell a story, he'd pray with his boy every night before he went to bed. Oh Lord, we just pray for mommy and daddy and and, um, the prayer last prayer list would go on and on and then they pray for a closer relationship with the Lord so Lord bless us with your presence here tonight amen and one time his little son who was only six or seven said dad when do we get the presents (laughs) (laughs) we're praying for presents dad we're praying for where are the presents (laughs) the Lord's coming is the greatest gift anybody could ever have and it gives the results of after opening a present, it's very soon forgotten. But when the Lord gives you his presence and his peace, he says, I'll never leave you. And I won't take my peace away from you. No, not even in the, in the storm. And if you're freaking during the storm, then you're not being obedient to this book. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed. And you gotta continue the Bible talks about be being filled. That's a continuing process, not a one-time event. It's an ongoing action. Be ye being filled. It's a daily thing where you die to yourself, you, you do your devotions, and you say, okay, Lord, the day is yours. So this Christmas, 2016, I hope it's a merry one. I know there's a lot of people. I saw so many street people that my heart went out to just wondering what their story was. It's warm down there and people who have nothing, they're pushing their shopping carts around all over the place. Every time I see one, I just I go, I wonder what happened. What's his story? How did it happen to him? And this, this Christmas, if you have not made your peace with the Prince of Peace, um, I give you that invitation this morning as we, as we pray. So let's stand and do just that. Lord, as we consider the Christmas story, 
First of all, I thank you, Lord, that you don't change. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we're so grateful that we take the time now to pray for any who have not made their peace with you yet. As Rich was saying earlier, there came that time when he was open and asking, and you revealed yourself to him. Jesus, this morning I pray for any who don't understand what Rich was talking about, and that you would reveal yourself as they, first of all, acknowledge that they have fallen short, that we've all sinned and fallen short of your glory, and that there would be real, sincere repentance. Lord, that they might inherit that peace, and that they might become an heir and a son. And Lord, we thank you for this great gift that keeps on giving every single day. And the Lord just sort of puts up a yearning and a longing in our heart to want to go home. So while we're here, as we close out this year, we commit ourselves afresh and anew um, to try to be a better witness, to try to be more obedient to you and your ways. And Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you did send your son when the fullness of time was here. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.